Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together this morning, both online and at the YMCA. Good to worship together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As Grace said, we are celebrating communion this morning. If you're online, the sermon is a perfect time to go get everything ready. I promise you're not going to miss all that much. However, uh, if, before you go, get your communion stuff, if we can pray for you, if prayer is part of your worship offering this morning, let us know how to pray for you at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. Send us an email in the gym on your way out the door. There's a wicker basket with prayer cards. Fill out a prayer card. Put it in the wicker basket. We would love to pray for you. That's also where you can leave any tithes or offerings you want to give as part of worship this morning. And online, that's at lakeforest.org slash give. Before the sermon today, we want to celebrate two things that are important to celebrate. The first is that starting tomorrow, no, starting the end of this week, the Glass family is going on sabbatical. Congratulations. Matt Glass is trying to sneak away. At the second service, I'm going to give him a gift. I'm going to give him a sabbatical gift. Do you want it this service or next service? This service. Okay, Matt, come here to receive your sabbatical gift. No expense was spared on this sabbatical. Matt Glass, we present you with an actual wearable, not torn up and ripped apart hoodie so that you can make it through the cold nights in your RV trip. Even the speaker system endorses your sabbatical. We are very excited for you and hope the, the chilly nights on the Canadian border in an RV are a little easier now, thanks to... Look at that. That's... Yes, a little snug, just how you like them. I... Matt's, Matt's hoodie is a little snug, but... Don't worry. It'll fit just fine. The nice thing is we'll be wearing it the next 15 years, so it was a, a good investment. The other thing we need to celebrate uh, is that starting next week, you don't have to register to come to church. So starting next week, you can just show up. If you remember Sunday at 8.50, whatever, you can just come. That would be great. We'll encourage everyone to wear a mask if it, when you're indoors, if you've not been vaccinated, or if you simply desire to do so. We'll ask some of our staff and leaders to do that so that there'll be some folks with masks, some folks without. Uh, and you, you won't be the only one doing whichever you're doing. Uh, and the last piece of that is if you can't join us next Sunday or any Sunday, you can always worship with us online, live at 9.15 on Facebook. If you can't make the live, you can always worship later in the day, but we'd love to worship together with you, 9.15 online. Well, about 150 years ago, there was a guy named George. There was actually a lot of guys named George. 
Uh, George Matheson is the one I'm talking about. George was commissioned by Queen Victoria to write the definitive English sermon on the book of the Bible called Job. That's no easy task. Because in the book of the Bible called Job, there's a guy named Job, very good, and he loves God, and he works diligently to walk in God's ways, and yet he loses everything. And then his three friends show up and tell him repeatedly he must have done something very bad. Why else would all these bad things have happened to him? Now, George could actually relate to Job in some ways. Through George's teen years, he began to unexplainably lose his vision. By his early 20s, he had gone completely blind. His fiancée broke off their engagement because of this. George's sister became a best friend to him. She helped him and helped him study, helped him remain independent. But then his sister fell in love and she prepared to get married and George knew that was going to change her priorities and she would not be able to assist him in the way that she had been. So we pick up with George's life on the night before his sister's wedding. It's a high point for their family, but a true low point for him. It's a reminder of what he's lost and what he's losing. And in the loneliness of that night, George did something for which you might still know him today. In the loneliness of that night before his sister's wedding, George did something for which you might still know him today. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Today we continue our year-long series of sermons. We're calling the story with a capital S. We're looking at the big picture of the Bible. We're trying to make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating. And so we've put together some resources like some reading plans, some videos you can watch that might help you uh, begin to break the Bible down a little bit more, understand a little bit more what God's trying to teach us there. Today is the last Sunday of Volume 4. But you can find all the resources at lakeforest.org slash LFCD, the story. In the beginning, God created the world. God created humanity in his own image. And yet humanity, in fact, all of creation were lured into rebelling against God. And yet God made a promise. God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham and with Sarah, promising to bless all the people of the world through their family. Their family became so large, it became a people, the Hebrew people, which unified together into the nation, the kingdom of Israel. So a family became a people, became a kingdom. The two most famous kings they had were King David and King Solomon. That's where we are in the Bible, King David and King Solomon. So if you have a physical Bible, don't know if anyone still has those, but if you have a physical Bible, I, I may be the last holdout. If you turn to the middle of a physical Bible, you will find two books in the middle, and those books are called Proverbs and Psalms. Now last week, Terrell preached about Proverbs. Do you remember that? Excellent. If it's your first week, you don't have to remember that. But last week, Terrell preached about Proverbs. Today, I want to pick up by talking about Psalms. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Psalms is a book of worship. Proverbs is a scribe. Most of it comes from King Solomon. Psalms, most of it comes from King David. It's the child and it's the parent. It's wisdom and it's worship. And my point today is that we truly need both. 
As we walk through life, we need both wisdom and worship. We need Proverbs in one hand and Psalms in the other hand, so that even today God might still lead his people through King Solomon and King David. Because sometimes cause and effect is easy to see. You rob a bank, you go to jail. If you want to avoid the hardship of jail, don't rob a bank. Easy. Sometimes cause and effect is easy to see. And sometimes cause and effect is not so clear. You don't rob a bank, but you look like the person who did. You still go to jail. Nothing you could have done differently. You didn't go looking for trouble. Trouble came looking for you. Some people with lung cancer smoke three packs a day. Some people with lung cancer don't and never did. Proverbs and Psalms. As you and I face the struggles of life, struggles in our relationships, with a child, with a parent, with a spouse, with a soul friend, with a co-worker, as we face struggles in our relationships, as we face the reality of a, a career that is a mess or finances that are a mess, as we face the big questions about ourselves, as we face big questions about our future, we need Proverbs and we need Psalms because sometimes the answer is wisdom and sometimes the answer is worship. And so the question I want to ask you to think about through the sermon today is this. As you consider the issue that most presses on you, is a Proverbs or a Psalms approach more needed? As you consider the issue that most presses on you, is a Proverbs or a Psalms approach more needed? Do you need to make a wise choice to change the situation? Or do you need to worship through a situation that won't soon change? Does the distinction make sense? Wisdom to make a wise choice to change the situation or to worship through a situation that won't soon change? Do you need to seek God's wisdom or do you need to simply worship God? And I get it's not always an either or. And I get we may need wise counsel of some trusted friends to help us think through. Is this more of a Proverbs or a Psalms situation? And that's the beauty of a church family. If you don't know any wise people who want to help you, well, just ask somebody sitting around you. And if, if they're not very wise, they'll point you to somebody who is. The beauty of a church family, you don't have to do life all by yourself. Today we want to examine Psalm 73. Amy read part of it for us earlier. And it gives us a sense of how Psalms can transform us. We talked a little last week about how Proverbs can transform us, pointing on the straight path, pointing on the path we should go. This week, how do Psalms transform us? Psalm 73 is not ascribed to King David. It's ascribed to Asaph. Asaph was one of the worship leaders that was appointed by King David. I don't know how well his hoodies fit either, but that detail's not in the Bible. But a psalm was originally a poem, it was a song, it was meant as a song for worship. So if you had gone to a worship service in the time of King David, the psalms would have been the words up on the screen. The psalms would have been the words in the middle of the stream. And you'd say something to yourself like, boy, I sure hope we do number 73 today. I really like number 73. This sounds like one Asaph wrote. Do you think Asaph wrote that one? I can't always see the words at the bottom, but I think Asaph wrote it. For all of you hoping we do number 73 today, you're in luck. 
Psalm 73. It was originally a worship song. I'm not going to sing it. Okay, I will. That's fine. Surely God... Nope, that's not going to work. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So it starts kind of how we expect a worship song to start. God is good. God is looking out for us. But then the song makes a sudden change. And Asaph says, that's true. I believe all that. But there was a time where I almost didn't. There was a time when I was ready to walk away from all this God stuff because I looked at the world around me. And there was a disconnect between what I believed in my mind and what I saw with my eyes. Do you think it's appropriate to express that level of struggle in a worship song? Do you think it's appropriate to express that level of doubt in a worship song? Good news, God thinks it's so appropriate, he put it in the Bible. I think God is far less concerned about our our doubts than we are. I think God's far less afraid of our doubts than we are. Doubt may actually be the thing that pushes us closer to God. And here's what I mean. As we look at the world around us and as we see things that seem truly unfair, we have to wrestle with the core question. Is God absent and thus this world is just going to be unfair? Or has God put this desire for rightness, that things would be right, has God put this desire for rightness deep down in my soul? And what I'm truly longing for, what I'm yearning for, is for God to redeem what humanity's rebellion broke. As we have doubts, as we suffer, as we ask big questions, that's the thing we're drilling down towards. Do we live in a beautiful world that has shot itself in the foot? Or do we live in a meaningless world that sometimes scrapes out some beauty? Do, do we live in a cathedral that in some ways has fallen into ruin? Or have we stacked enough mud together to make it look like a cathedral? Do you hear the difference? That core question we're trying to get at as we struggle? What is the truest thing about this world? Is it the beauty of it or the pain of it? Is it the purpose of it or the struggles of it? Do we live in a cathedral that in some ways has fallen into ruin, but could yet still be redeemed? Or do we live in a world just full of meaningless mud that we've managed to stack up to look like a cathedral? The psalm continues. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. So you see these doubts run pretty deep for Asaph. He wasn't just looking for a a word that rhymed with buffering. So he wrote a psalm about suffering. These, These things run pretty deep for him. He is taken aback by the condition of the world around him. He's taken aback by the world that's around us. This is the same issue Job, the book of Job, tries to address. Why do God-loving people suffer, and why do God-ignoring people prosper? 
Why do God-loving people suffer? Why do God-ignoring people prosper? What's the use in loving God? What's the use in following Jesus if you can point to plenty of people who don't and seem perfectly happy and they get to sleep in on Sundays and they don't have to give away 10% of their income and they can cuss people out and not feel guilty about it? Why do God-loving people suffer and God-ignoring people prosper? And the point of the book of Job, and it's reiterated in the Psalms, is that life is not quite that easy. It's not as easy as saying that if you follow Jesus, or if today or in the future you come to follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. And if you don't, it's going to be horrible. Living in a fallen world is not quite that easy. It's more complex than that. But God has still given us his word. God has given us wisdom to help us see what life is truly like, to see the causes and effects of life, how we should respond in certain situations. So the point I'm trying to make here is that everything is not a mystery, but some things are. Everything is not a mystery, but some things are. And so we need Proverbs and Psalms, the wisdom of God to begin to understand the world, what the world is like, how God would have us to live. We need Proverbs and those parts of the Bible like Proverbs, and we need Psalms to help us worship through the parts of life that won't soon change, to worship through the mysteries that would explode our brains if we truly understood them. The psalm continues. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And so Ossoff experiences a change. Ossoff experiences the transformation of his questions and his doubts. And where does the transformation happen? The transformation happens in the act of worship in the sanctuary of God, in the redirecting of his heart, the redirecting of our hearts, our lives in God's direction. And there is power in times of private worship, but there is something exponentially powerful about gathering with other people who do the same. One of the prayers our elders have for each of you, for each of us, is that we develop a worship rhythm that we take time every seventh day to worship together with our church family. This summer, we're hoping and praying that people will start to rebuild the habits of worshiping and serving together on Sunday morning. And we are thankful for all of you who make Sunday mornings happen by serving because you make space for everyone to come in and experience the transformation of worship together. Not every issue has a proverb solution. There are some questions and some conundrums you just can't think your way out of. Worship also reminds us that we don't have to keep any secrets from God. Worship reminds us that we don't have to keep any secrets from God. I mean, this is like a, a, a pro tip. I'll give, I learned this in seminary, so I'll just give it to you right now. Don't try to hide something from an omniscient being. 
Don't play hide and seek with God. God always wins. He knows where you're hiding right away. Never play hide and seek with God. Instead, bring the situation, bring the question, bring the doubt, bring the flaw, bring the raw emotion, bring the thing that's keeping you up at night, bring it into worship. Bring yourself, your authentic, your real, your messy self into this time of worship and see if God won't do some transforming work. God knows who you are all 168 hours of the week. You don't have to try to impress him in this one hour. One hour, five minutes. We aim for about 65. Don't keep secrets from God. You don't have to. It's not worth it. That's the point of Psalms. Don't keep secrets from God. You don't have to, and it's not worth it. There are lots of raw emotions throughout the Psalms, enough to make me uncomfortable, maybe enough to make you uncomfortable, but God invites it. God invites us to worship Him that we might be transformed. The order is important. God invites you to worship Him that you might be transformed. Sometimes we think we have to be transformed so that we can worship God. If you take it in that order, you'll never get there. By God's grace, He says, flip the order. Worship me that you might be transformed. Asaph brought his deepest doubts into worship. And here's how he closed the psalm. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So what do you hear? Asaf writes, you are always with me. You're holding my hand. You're guiding me through life. And after this life, you'll take me into glory. That's the hope of eternal life. And in the life everlasting and in this life, you are what I most desire. I got caught up in envying all these people, and I forgot that the most valuable thing in my life is God. God is more valuable to me than anything else. Even in my failures, God, you do not fail. You are my strength and my portion. In other words, you are enough. And you are my portion. You are enough forever. Forever. There is a beautiful collision that happens in worship. In worship, our temporary questions, our temporary doubts, our temporary situations, our temporary problems collide with an eternal God whose love is everlasting, whose wisdom is everlasting, whose plan is everlasting. And that big picture perspective, that more eternal perspective, changes some of the ways we think about what's happening in our specific moment. It's as if, this has to be my last little illustration. It, it's as if you decided to give me a million dollars in $1 bills. This is a hypothetical example I just thought of. Let's say you decide to give me a million dollars in $1 bills. 
But on this day, there's no wind and there's no traffic. And so you laid them end to end on I-77. A million dollars in one dollar bills would stretch a hundred miles. In other words, from the South Carolina-North Carolina border all the way to the North Carolina-Virginia border on I-77. And so I go and I pick up these million dollars, one dollar at a time. Now, if I start to pick one up and I notice that some of the bills are a little scratched, a little torn, maybe they're burnt, they're not able to be used, I might be a little bit upset about that, especially when that's the bill I had in my hand. But then I would lift up my eyes and realize that as far as I could see, there were reminders of your kindness to me. As far as I could see, for a hundred miles, there were indications of your gift and your kindness to me. And I could actually look in my hand and look back and remember the sum total of your kindness to me up until this point. I could get really fixated on the scratched or burned up bill in my hand, or I could look backwards and look forwards. I could lift my eyes out of the immediate and remember your kindness to me. May you never be able to drive I-77 from the North Carolina, South Carolina border to the Virginia border ever again the same way. This is what worship does. Worship reframes our momentary trials with God's eternal plan and never-ending love. Worship reframes our momentary trials with God's eternal plan and his never-ending love. I did not say downplay. I'm not here to downplay anything, but reframes. Worship lifts our eyes from what's happening right here and right now into God's eternal plan, God's eternal love. The eternal reframes the momentary. Sometimes we need Proverbs. Sometimes we need Psalms. Sometimes we need to reflect. Sometimes we need to worship. Sometimes we need to act. And sometimes we need to endure. Sometimes we need to act. And sometimes we need to endure. Now, enduring doesn't sound like much fun. And so the Bible tells us this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Even Jesus didn't get easy street. Even Jesus felt the true unfairness of a world in rebellion against God. In fact, he offered himself as that final sacrifice on the cross that you and me and all of us might be reconciled to God. The Bible tells us that Jesus went to the cross willingly, but the Bible also tells us that he endured the cross. It was a willing choice that he also had to endure. And he endured for the joy that would follow. He endured the momentary for the joy of the eternal. He endured for you. You are his joy. The fact that you have a deepening relationship with God brings him joy. The fact that you're worshiping here this moment, this, even though you have big questions, even though you're not sure about this whole God thing, it brings Jesus joy. He endured for you. You are his joy. He endured the momentary for the joy of the eternal. And on the cross, Jesus quoted a book of the Old Testament. Do you think he quoted Proverbs? 
or Psalms. He quoted Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hard to hear Jesus say that. And then you realize it's the first line of Psalm 22. He's quoting a psalm. He's worshiping as he endures. Which gets me back to my question so that we can celebrate communion together. As you consider the issue that most presses on you, is a Proverbs or a Psalms approach more needed? Do you need to act or do you need to endure? Do you need to make a wise choice to change the situation or worship through a situation that won't soon change? Do you need to seek God's wisdom or simply worship God? So any guesses what George did on the night before his sister's wedding? Alone and realizing what he had lost and what he was losing, he wrote a song. He wrote the song we're going to sing right after communion. And as you listen to it, I want you to hear the collision, the beautiful collision of the momentary and the eternal. Momentary trials, eternal comfort, eternal joy. Well, with that, let me turn everything over to Gray, Pastor Gray, to lead us in communion.